to a meaningful marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. We are here weekly to discuss the journeys of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad you joined us today as we bring you stories of hope and inspiration. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Sarah, I got to see you over this break, which was lovely. You did. Because <laughs> I hadn't seen you in a while. You were on a food tour. You want to tell people about what you were doing? Sure. We had a guest here from Chile and her name is Jennifer. And she um, is working on a program for women farmers in Chile. She works at a place called Creas. Um, and they're already helping food entrepreneurs, but they're going to mimic the program that we're doing for NASDA here in the U.S. We currently have um, Oregon, Washington, and Nevada uh, women, I think over 35 women who are on farms or who are interested in creating foods with products grown on farms to um, be new food entrepreneurs. And they're going to do that in Chile. That's so cool. I, um, you know, anytime that you have something that you're doing with people from around the world, I always open my kitchen to them. So you have sent people, women from Africa to come see what I do. You, uh, yeah, you brought another person, but you came and toured the kitchen and it was really nice to see you and, um, have you, you know, encourage her to do some of the things that, that I'm doing and that other yeah. women in town are doing. So thanks for sharing my biz with people from around the yeah. world. <laughs> Actually, it was funny because Jennifer and I went to Zupans, we went to New Seasons, went to Market of Choice, and she was just so excited to see so many products that we've all worked on here in the in Oregon on the shelves in the stores that we make. Because one of the things I noticed when I was in Chile in 2015 for a week, sort of teaching entrepreneurship to a bunch of folks there, was that they didn't really have a lot of local foods available to them. The grocery stores are really limited. In fact, one of the aisles was just soda pop. And then I remember one aisle that had eggs and then like one or two refrigerated cases that had like things like bologna and hot dogs and sliced cheese. So I asked Jennifer, where do you get your food? And she said, well, you just need to know the right markets, but they're, they've been really working on the, on the food systems in Chile. That's good. I'm glad. I know she was, she seemed excited to see all the grocery stores and all the local support. And I'm sure it's really nice and inspiring for her to come and see it. And hopefully she takes some of that cool stuff back and does some of the same programs that you guys do. Yes. Super cool. Well, Well, um, I was wondering, Sarah, since we're back in the new year, if you have any new year's podcast resolutions, are you a resolution maker? Do you do that kind of thing? (laughs) 
So my resolution for this year is new year, new me. <laughs> I don't want a new you. I want the same you. <laughs> well, it can be new year, old me. <laughs> I could say new year, older me. But basically for me, I have got to work on my diet and exercise routine. And I'm not going to go on a diet. I just have to exercise more, I think, which is one of my friends, Laura Barton, always says, Sarah, you cannot live a sedentary lifestyle. You must get out and walk. <laughs> well, you have a lot of indoor meetings. I mean, your whole oh. work day is just sitting and talking to people, you know, so it's like you have to really no. get motivated. I'm thinking about just having like headphones inserted right into my ears, like go to Costco and get some headphones that they just stick right into your ears and <laughs> so you walk around them. we'll just get you some cordless ones I can help you with that okay <laughs> well uh my new year's resolution is to learn to roller skate backwards so you know I go I sent you my daughter. some TikTok of those cool <laughs> roller skate guys did you mm -hmm. see that I did. I said that it was just like me, which is not true because I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, okay. One of my resolutions for this year is actually that we go to the women's roller derby together. Oh, that's great. I can do that. Let's make that resolution. <laughs> and they have a show coming up in February, so we'll have to go. That sounds great. Okay. Well, I'll get us some tickets. Sounds good. I'm really excited about our guest today because Me I feel too. like in the new year, people always want to do new things with their business and they want to create change. And our guest today is an inspiration to everybody. And I think that um, I'm so excited to have her here on the show. So let me introduce our guest. Uh, our guest is Tracy Ozerin. Tracy's the founder and executive director of Urban Gleaners and the owner of Tracy's Small, Small Batch Granola. Welcome, Tracy. Welcome. Hey. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here today. And we want our um, listeners to be able to find you on social media and follow along with the journey of both of these businesses. Can you tell people how to do that? Oh, my gosh. I wish I could. <laughs> um, I said, sorry. I had no idea that would be the first question. I'm already feeling. <laughs> um, you know what? I don't do any social media. So, but Urban Gleaners does. And um, I, someone You're from my our office sent it to you. So, so your Sorry. website is Tracy's small batch, right? Yeah. And Tracy. Tracy small batch. And you have a link on there. People can go on and they can buy bags of granola yeah. from you. Yeah. Um, I did notice that you had a maximum of 10 bags that people can purchase at one time. We do. Can we you do. tell us about that? Do people want to buy hundreds of bags from you on the website? Generally not, but um, we did that just for shipping purposes because that's oh, what in a box. And that's smart. Shipping turns out to be quite expensive and unwieldy. So we can do that in a um, USPS box, one of those. Those are the best. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, someone could order two boxes. Okay. That's just kind of how we do it. <laughs> oh, that's great. So I remember meeting you at the Food Innovation Center, I think in 2004. Yes. Yeah. And you were talking with Dalton Hobbs, who's long since retired. He's a very dear friend and I see all the time. Do you see him all the time? I do. I do. Oh, will you say hi for me? I sure will. He and my and husband grew up together. Oh, I see. Well, also tell him if you remember that Maria retired. He okay. will be interested to know that. I will tell him. 
we were all kind of buddies here at the FIC. So, well, Tracy, wow. I, I looked up your social media handles for oh, you, so I have them. So, <laughs> if, you will, if you want to find you on Instagram, it's uh, Urban Gleaners PDX and uh, Tracy's Small Batch Granola. So that's how they can find you on Instagram, and right. we'll tag you in that as well. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We hope to do better as we move along. <laughs> You're doing great already. So Sarah, you met Tracy in 2004. Is that when you were starting Urban Gleaners? It is. I, um, they both sort of came together at the same time. Um, yeah. I sort of have, a, I don't really have a food background. I'm just, I, I like food. And I thought you did catering. I did. Um, I learned to cook with my dad. Oh. Uh, he, he loved to cook. My mother didn't cook much. Um, you couldn't survive on the things that we cooked together, but we had a great time. We took a French omelet class and we made chocolate souffle and he made the best latkes on the planet. Mm. So that was kind of where that came from. And I had the small catering business in Los Angeles. Um, and I used to make these enchiladas that people loved. And so that sort of became a business where in the old days, before there were packaged fresh food in grocery stores, because that wasn't always a thing, everything was frozen. Um, and so I made these enchiladas and sold them in a chain of grocery stores in LA. So that was kind of the background. And then we moved to Portland and I didn't work for a while. I was home with my kids and then, and I had never eaten granola. And so I, and I couldn't find one that I liked that well. So I started making it. And of course it kind of comes in big batches. And I thought, well, what am I going to do with all this? So I gave it to friends and people liked it. And <clears throat> I ended up um, taking it down to, for those of you who are food people in Portland to city market uh, in Northwest Portland and I kind of knew the people there and said, I have this granola. I don't know. Do you, you want to maybe sell it? So they did. And that's how it started. Um, and then at the same time, I was kind of getting Urban Gleaners started. And my husband said, you know, you ought to just whatever profits you make, just give that to Urban Gleaners. So that's how that all began. It's a great but story. Yeah. So just so our listeners understand um, the two businesses, because yes. um, so there's Urban Gleaners. And for that one, you're the executive director, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Let's tell people what Urban Gleaners okay. is. Great. So Urban Gleaners is a food rescue organization. And Urban Gleaners started because I was driving down Burnside one day listening to NPR, as one does. And there was a show at the time called Humankind. And there was a woman who talked about her life in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She'd been a social worker. And she came to realize how much food was being thrown away all around her and how many people in her community were going without food. And she thought, well, something, this, we have to fix this. Something needs to be done here. So she started going around and talking to restaurants in her neighborhood and saying, what do you do with your excess food? And they said, well, we throw it away. And she said, well, how about if I come get it? So she did. And she started taking it to the people that she saw around her. And it grew. And then she talked about what it was like, the feeling that she got 
doing this and how powerful this was. And as it got bigger, she thought I need some help. So she hired a couple of, at that time it was men who were, had been living on the streets or living in shelters who benefited from this food. And they came and helped her and they drove cars and vans around to help pick up the food and it grew and grew. And listening to these men talk about how powerful that was to them to be able to give food to people who needed it when they had been in that same situation. And so I, you know, then I just had to like pull over on the side of the road um, and cry for a while, which is, you know, not that unusual for me, but it was just, I just thought, well, this is unbelievable. And I love food and I got to figure this out. And somebody in Portland must do this because it's Portland. It seemed a very Portland thing to do. And I thought, I'll just find who they are and I'll go volunteer and help do this. But no one was doing it. Um, So eventually I said to my two kids who were then 13 and 15, I heard this woman on the radio and we're we're just going to do it because that's just, we have to. So we started, we just started wandering and talking to people in restaurants and grocery stores and saying, hey, do you have food? And what do you do with it? And um, we got our first pickup from Blue Hour Restaurant. I had known the chef there and he said, well, I don't know, but I'm an, I'll help you. So I brought him these uh, Glad containers that you can buy, these little plastic containers. And we got there the first day with my kids and there were three containers. There was a fava bean puree, a mushroom duzel, and some other something that I don't remember. Uh, Those are the fanciest food donations I've heard of. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. People don't know how to use it even. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we had made an arrangement with the rescue mission, but when it came down to it, they changed their mind and said they weren't interested. So I happened to luck out and call Blanche House. And Blanche House, in case people don't know, is an amazing organization. And they've been doing meals for 63 or four years. They're in Old Town. And this amazing man, Patrick Daly, answered the phone. And I said, "Ah, you know, I've got this thing. I got these three containers. I don't know, but I have this idea. And I think it could work. And he said, just bring them. Come over. And that's how it all started. I, I love to hear that because I don't I didn't know that story and I didn't know that that I mean, I guess when I think of Urban Gleaners, of course, I know who you are and I know about the business and I see your trucks and I see, you know, you guys rescuing all this food. But I have always just thought of it as like this bigger organization, even though I know that you're in the big picture of, t- of things, your team is small, but I, I just didn't really know the beginning of the story. So to think of you just with your three containers of food and then trying to find someone to give it to. I, I love it. And I, and that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the show because I think that um, what I hope is that people hear your story and want to do their own things for the community, because I think everybody has an idea, but sometimes they don't know exactly what it is yet. And I think that's mm-hmm. exactly how you started. You, you knew you wanted to rescue food and give it to somebody, but you didn't know exactly how you were going to do it, <laughs> but so you did, true. you started. I did. And I, um, I have all felt for so many years now, because it's been 16 years that I've been doing it, 
it, it has this feeling. I mean, every now and then I look around and I think I had no idea what I was doing. I don't, I didn't know how to start an organization. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about 501c3s. I didn't know about insurance. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I just picked up this food with my kids and we were actually reminiscing today um, about a bean and rice spill that we had once picking up from a Mexican restaurant. In oh, my spilled. Yeah, oh, I bet that was messy. Yeah, it was a mess. Um, so it, it's an incredible thing, really, that um, if I could do it, anyone can do it. <laughs> it's very well, entrepreneurial of you. It is. It is. So how did it grow from you picking up one, you know, small thing from a, somebody that you knew and, and giving it to somebody else? How did it grow into what it is now? It, for the first couple of years, everything went to Blanche House. Mm -hmm. um, and it was amazing to watch. And it, it grew, it got bigger. Um, we went to more restaurants. But then I came to realize that really restaurants were not going to be the source of enough food for us. That that restaurants, you know, well, have such small margins. And, and the restaurant's goal really is to not have food waste from exactly. restaurants because they are paying for it. They want to be able to use it. Right. You know, but... Yes. Yeah. So... Then I started, I went to the, uh, I got in touch with farmer's markets and I got in touch with grocery stores. And at one, at one point I had been trying to get into uh, zoo pans and I knew the, the man who was the manager and I saw him one night at my son's basketball game. And I said to my husband, I'm just going to go talk to him for a minute about it. And my husband said, oh my God, you can't do that. Like, you're your kid's basketball game. He doesn't want to talk to you. And he said, you're like a dog with a bone. You won't stop. So anyway, I went over and he said, oh, all right, just come by. And it, it worked out. That's cool. Yeah. So it was. Really now, I remember you were up in, didn't you have a spot in St. John's when you were first? Was that you? No, we Somebody actually else. with them though. That's St. John's Food Share. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, I was down in Old Town in a oh, bay of right. old auto garage. Three Point Oil is where I was, which it was right down the street from Blanche. So I kept, I just kept at it, and and the food built and built and built, and the Blanche guys at one point said we don't know if we can take any more food. We, we've really like, you know, it, this has completely changed our model. So then we started looking around, okay, where else could we go? And it was actually the Blanche guys idea. They said, you know, you bring us all these great little containers of yogurt, but we don't really use that because we're feeding like 900 meals a day and those little tiny containers of yogurt aren't that useful. So we found Rosehaven Women's Shelter and that was the perfect thing for them because they needed things that they could hand to women who were coming in or they could have something to take home. So we went there. And so that tended to grow. And then the, the other wonderful thing about Blanche was they said, one point I brought in some produce and they said, now is this uh, conventional or organic? And I said, well, actually this would be organic, but, <laughs> and they said, you know, we're not gonna get that bread anymore from Safeway. We, we like this artisan bread stuff that you bring. <laughs> so it, it just kept going. And so once I branched out from 
Blanche and into other organizations. And then it kept going from there. Wow. And so let me just for real, real quick, we'll take a break in one second because I know we're past time to take a break. But I, <laughs> but I, I so, could just go on for hours. I know. Well, I'm so interested in it. So, um, so you know, you started this thing, but I, what I'm really curious about, because I know that there's the food bank, but the process of what the food bank does is totally different from you do, what you do. And I think it's more of a licensing thing. So was it tricky for you to be able to get food from places and redistribute cooked food or was it easy for you to do? There, so it turns out there are state and federal Good Samaritan laws protecting anyone donating food in good faith from liability. And that's always the concern that people have. Will I get sued? But you will not. And there's never been a case brought um, against anyone donating food. So it's really, it's a fine thing to do. The food bank, um, we just work on such a different scale and in such different areas that there's, we don't really overlap with them. Um, Maybe after the break, then I could tell you about how we ended up in schools and feeding kids because that became kind of the model um, after a few years. Sure. We'll, we'll just take a quick break and we'll come back okay. and hear about that. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. All right, we're back from break, and I would love to hear about how you're sending food home with kids who need it on the weekends. Yes. So we send food to kids seven days a week. Um, and that started in the old Blanchet house days because we were getting so much bread. It's a lot of bread produced and it doesn't sell. So it has to be gotten rid of after a day, but it's obviously edible. We've all eaten bread the next day. And a woman I met um, suggested that the school where her daughter attended in North Portland there were a lot of kids who didn't have enough to eat. She connected me with the principal of that school. Um, so I called her and I said, hey, I've got, you know, we have this bread, we have food, what, what do you need? She said, I need anything. She had a school of 280 kindergarten kids in one building for this one year. They just threw them all in there. And we went out and I said, here's, you know, we brought all this bread and she said, oh, the kids will love this. They could take it home in their backpacks. It'll be great. And I said, well, what's going on? Because I was completely unaware of the issue of childhood hunger in Portland, Oregon. And she said, these kids don't have enough to eat. So she said, a loaf of bread to go home with would be helpful. And I said, well, that we have to do better than that. Can't just give them a loaf of bread. So the next week we went back and we took all kinds of food and parents came and they had made um, reusable bags that they had decorated so that the kids could take something home. And it, it was absolutely incredible. And she said, you know, like we will try to give them a very hearty snack at the end of the day, because often they will get maybe a bag of chips for dinner and that's it. And so by the time they come to school in the morning, you know, they're a mess. 
And so over the course of the next year, I really just sort of switched the focus because that to me felt like that's what we should do. And I felt that the homeless population had more resources, more places they could go to get food, whereas kids really did not. Because they don't really have a voice. They don't. They don't. And it's just, um, I mean, there were these amazing stories of these kids at this school who there was a little girl who had come. She was a refugee from a um, country in Africa and she hadn't eaten and she was crying all the time and she didn't, she didn't understand anything and they couldn't talk to her and it was just very stressful. And we brought bananas one day and she recognized bananas and she ate like 12 bananas. She was so happy. Um, and there was a little boy who was inconsolable because he didn't have a snack to share with the kids for his birthday. And we, you know, on that day happened to bring frosted cookies. And the principal said, look, the cookie fairy came. Here are cookies. Um, So it's been an amazing, amazing experience. And so now we run pantries at schools. I mean, of course, this is all, there was pre-COVID and now there's post-COVID. So we're kind of still in this, rebuilding mode because a lot of the schools, the schools of course closed and we couldn't take food there, but that's mostly where parents accesses food for their kids. So at the beginning of COVID, you couldn't take any food there. Are you able to now? We are back at a lot of our schools. Good. And I, said, I've seen you also um, give at parks and things. There's yes. a, a park in our neighborhood in, in Lentz that I've been there when you've been distributing food. And so I just want for people who are listening to be able to share how to receive the food that you're giving. So you're, you are giving it to schools, but also there's places that people can go pick it up and you don't have, um, people can just get it right. They don't have to show any kind of information or I know sometimes people, um, worry about that kind of thing. They don't want to give their name or information or things like that. So could you tell people how to access the food? Yes. So if you go to our website, urbangleaners.org, and the bar across the top says need food, and there's a list of all of our pantries. And all the pantries listed are public pantries. There's one every day of the week. Sometimes there's a couple um, on a given day. We uh, have worked for many years with Parks and Rec so that in the summer when kids aren't getting their lunches at school, we go to the parks where they distribute lunches. And, you know, there's all these funny things you find out, like if a child goes to a park to get his his or her lunch, um, if they have a sibling, the sibling can't get a lunch because it's only for the child at the school. So we bring all this food and then the families are already coming. We don't want people to have to spend their whole day trying to access food. We want to make it easy for people. So we go to low-income housing complexes and health clinics and, of course, the schools and parks and so that it's in people's neighborhood and they can just walk over and get a bag of food. And we really, really um, are very focused on healthy food. We do bring donuts, just in case you were worried, <laughs> occasionally. Donuts are important. They are. <laughs> they are good for your soul. They are. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, kids, a lot of times people think, well, you know, I can feed my kid. Maybe I can make pancakes for my kid, which is a better thing to have than nothing. But children need nutrients to grow and for their brains to develop. And so they need protein and they need healthy food as well. Yes. Well, I, I think that, um, I love your story and I love your mission and um, everything about it just makes me get weepy. So <laughs> I spent, me too. spent a lot of this um, call already just not saying much because I think I'm going to cry every time because, <laughs> because I love it. And I think that what you're doing is so necessary and it's so I'm sure that um, you are doing something wonderful for this community. And I'm just so proud of the things that you're doing and I love it. So thank you, first there's of all. <laughs> even, there's even like a food pantry up at OHSU for students, I understand. We did, we did that for a while. Yeah, we uh, donated some food for that um, pantry actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes things come and go, things don't necessarily continue to work in the same way, but for like the, a lot of times, like the park at Lentz, we've been doing that one for a long time. Um, and now with with COVID, I mean, the schools unfortunately have a lot of, um, there's a lot of regulations about how you, if you can be on school property. And so we struggled with that for the last yeah. years. Well, but that's the first thing I thought of because even for a while during COVID, the parks were closed. I mean, because, yeah. you know, we would go to Lentz Park and it was all taped off. So there was just no one there. And the first yeah. thing I was thinking is like, I know that I see a lot of families coming here all the time to get food. Like, where are they going to get food now? You I know. know, like, so I'm glad that you're back and able to distribute food. We That's so wonderful because I'm sure it's even more, there's more of a need now than there was before. There is. I mean, the need is, has really expanded over the course of COVID. And um, in 2019, before all this started, we rescued 1.2 million pounds of food. Whoa. So now that I've told you about the three containers from Blue Hour, <laughs> you can see how... That is huge growth. <laughs> it is. And this year, so we're back... Um, we're, we'll be back in 2021 to close to that number. I think we've hit a million this year. That's um, how big is your warehouse? You know, it's not very big. It's 3,500 square feet. Whoa. Um, but we have four refrigerated vans. We have 11, I have 11 employees, um, but the food comes in and goes out. So we're not storing any of this. You know, we, we don't turn, turn around times real quick. Turnarounds very quick because it yeah. is food that's, you know, it's at the getting to the end of its its life, but it's perfectly edible. And our mantra has been when we're looking at something, well, would you eat it? And we're all like crazy food people. And most we would eat it. And if we don't, we have four pig farmers <laughs> who come uh, every week and collect what is not edible for humans. Um, to feed their animals. That's great. Yeah, that's so great. So the full circle of life exists. Yeah. <laughs> You're saving it all, even some for the pigs. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, so we did talk about your Tracy's small batch granola yes, company right. a little bit. Yes. Um, but I just want to talk about um, your role in that and how it um, 
is different from Urban Gleaners and how it contributes to it. So did you start it at the same time? I did. I did. So um, it's funny because I do get asked this and I should clarify. All the granola ingredients are purchased. There is no, there are no gleaned ingredients in the granola, just so everyone knows. Um, so again, it was sort of the same kind of organic, if you will. Um, it just, it just grew. People really liked it. So many people don't even know that all the proceeds go to urban gleaners. And every now and then I'll be in a grocery store next to someone who's buying it. And I say, oh, thank you so much. I'm always shocked when I see someone buying it as if like, well, how else would it be empty on a shelf if no one bought it? Usually empty. Yes, I know that very often, but that's not us. That's people not reordering in time. I just want to say. Um, but we really are small batch. It is made by a single person in our kitchen every single day. And is it the same kitchen as the Urban Gleaners kitchen or is it a different kitchen? It's in the same building, but it's, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's, a, it's a different space. So all the proceeds get donated to Urban Gleaners. And this year will be our biggest year ever of Amazing. Uh, profits. How many bags do you think you'll make this year? Oh, I don't have any idea, <laughs> but I will find that out. <laughs> we'll post it. We'll post it. We'll post there you it go. Instagram and then people could find it. There you go. That's so wonderful because I mean, you're doing other things by creating these two separate businesses. So one, of course, you're raising money for the organization that you need money to pay your employees and to run all these places and do all the things, but also you're creating jobs for people. So you have, um, you know, the people that specifically make the granola and that is another, um, you know, job for somebody in the community. So that's great. And I think, you know, the people, um, people who work with us, People are really happy to be doing this work. I mean, it's very rewarding at the end of the day. It's, an, it's a physically exhausting job because when you think about 1.2 million pounds of food, that food was collected, it was lifted onto a van, it was lifted off a van, it was lifted onto a scale, it was weighed, we track all of the food coming and going, it was repacked, we check it all, we pack it up into boxes, we send it out, but our pantries, um, I do want to stress that our panic, we don't do food boxes. We lay out food as if it's a farmer's market type experience, because I think it's important for people to choose the kind of food that they want to eat. And I like that. Yeah, I do too. I was going to say, I, who, who picks up your food, the food from the Portland farmer's market on Saturdays? It, it's, I think it's, it's his name, John. I don't know. Uh, I've, we, John used to do it. Somebody else does it now. Well, I, I think I can't, I can't remember his name. I've talked to him a couple of times, but he works harder than I would say most vendors. He literally, Sarah, you would be amazed if you saw this because he picks up donations from the farmers. So he's pulling like a pallet jack full of food donations that I don't know how much it weighs, but it has to be like a thousand pounds. Like it's full stacked with squash and potatoes and all this really lovely fresh produce, but he comes into the market and pulls it down the street because you know, it's in the middle of the city that you can't just pull up and grab it. He works works so hard every day. He brings more stuff to the market than I do. It's crazy. (laughs) Everyone. I mean, it's really, and I've been working a lot in the warehouse lately because that's where I'm happiest. And it is just exhausting by the end of the day to to all this food and move it from here to over to here. And 
Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it's a lot of planning and logistics too, to figure out what goes where and how to do it. And did you say your team was 11 people? Yes. I, I, that seems small for the amount of food that you distribute. That's amazing. It is. It is. I did notice too that you have a volunteer program. Um, I know some places aren't accepting volunteers during the pandemic. Are you guys able to have people come volunteer for you right now? We are. Um, so we have a couple of things. We have people who, because we've started back with this for mm-hmm. um, in the last couple months. Um, we do have people who go and pick up food for us. So they'll go to a grocery store or a restaurant and they do it every week. Um, so that that's one volunteer opportunity. Another is to come in and to repackage the prepared food that we collect. And so that comes in and that's what's starting to really come back, um, which is wonderful. So we package that food in containers so that a family can pick up a meal. So they have a protein and a a vegetable and a starch and whatever. And um, so we get uh, we, we used to get like Nike and Intel and Adidas and, um, Keen. I always used to say we get all the food. I mean, all the shoe company food that's out yeah. there. Yeah. They have big cafeterias. They have huge cafeterias. They want to keep their staff on site. So they, yeah. feed them. exactly. So we've collected all of that. We go to Lewis and Clark, we go to Reed, um, we go to the Moda center. So that's all starting to come back. And so we do have volunteers who come in and repackage that into to-go containers to, that goes out. It would be cool if you delivered granola when you pick up donations and then have them pay you. Yes. <laughs> At the same time you take food. Yes. That occasionally happens. That's nice. And the, and the um, donors that we have, I mean, it's amazing. Zupans has been, after I accosted that poor man at the basketball game, um, they're an incredible food donor, as is Market of Choice and New Seasons. And um, there's so many people. We have a list on the website. It's, it's over 100 food donors. That's a nice list. Yeah. And I saw that you have over 50 locations around the city where people can go to get some food. Do you also go into other cities? Like what about Salem? Have you thought about going down to Salem? It's just too much. We're too small. Okay. um, You know, I've thought about that and people have asked us over the years, but I feel like um, it would be better if someone in Salem did Salem. Yeah. They're grocery stores. And hopefully this show inspires someone in Salem to start their own thing like this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Um, really, this is not rocket science. This is just, this is just putting some food in your car and driving it from one place to another. Well, I love that you did it though. I mean, you know, you say it's not rocket science, science, and I don't think it is, but it does take a lot of heart and a lot of love to start it from nothing yes. and grow it to what you have. Um, and hopefully, you know, other people hear your story and are, are inspired to do the same. We do also love to encourage people to buy your product um, directly from you or just from you in general. So if people are buying the Tracy Small Batch Granola, know that 100% of the proceeds goes to Urban Gleaners, but where do they get it? What's the best way for them to get the granola if they want to support your biz? So they can order it from us. We don't do, I mean, we're happy to do that. Um, We are a little bit swamped these days, which is a good problem to have. Um, 
So Zupan's New Seasons, um, I think Whole Foods is kind of a hit and miss. I'm not sure that they're really carrying our product as much. Um, Provador, um, we sell in Seattle, but that doesn't necessarily really help. Um, and yeah. I you're think, in all the new seasons. I think there's yeah. over 20 and then it, you're yeah. in market of choice. They market have quite of choice. A yeah. Are we? Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> See, this is what happens. <laughs> it starts to get so big that, and I, when I was in the old auto garage, three point oil, I made all the granola myself. I picked up all the food myself and, and I loved those days. And that it's, this is better because we sell more granola. Therefore we make more money. Therefore we can pay more for more help at urban gleaners and we get more food, which feeds more people. I mean, obviously that was the goal, yes. uh, but personally I liked the old days. That <laughs> It was probably easier to track for sure. <laughs> it was easier to track. I had it all at the, at the tip of my tongue. I could tell you anything. Well, you do so much to help the community. What would you like the community to do for you? What can people do to support Urban Gleaners and Tracy's Small Batch Granola? What do you need from us? Um, I would love people to talk to as many people as you can about Urban Gleaners and about food waste. Food Food waste is a terrible thing. And this food goes into landfills if it's not composted, which most of it is not. And it creates methane. It's the second largest source of methane emissions of anything in the country. And people are hungry and children are hungry. And I, you know, I feel like a lot of people do know who we are now, but a lot of people still don't. And we are here to come and get your food. We want your food. And we just, it was funny, someone brought us food today uh, from Tusk, the restaurant Tusk. And he said, thank you so much for what you're doing. And I said, no, thank you that you brought us this big box of these wonderful roasted vegetables and various things. I mean, it's great. And as a community, I just, um, and as a country, I mean, I just, I don't know. I feel like we should be able to get behind this. This should not be in any way controversial. I don't think it is. And I think we can. I think that um, also as like food entrepreneurs and Sarah and I can help to spread the word about urban gleaners. But I think that everything you're doing is really wonderful. And so we can definitely do that for you. We can That's tell great. people about urban gleaners and, and know that you're accepting donations and you're always looking for places to distribute it. People can go look on your website to find where to come pick up food if they need food. Yes. Um, know that they're giving food to schools. It's just so great. Tracy, I'm impressed by you. I love Me it. too. So much. And as we like to say, eat more granola. There you go. Everybody eat some more granola. Eat and more um, granola. you can find on the website what stores uh, the granola can be purchased yes. in as well to support. Also, to just quote you at the end of one of your news clips, you said, maybe we should just eat it. <laughs> Yeah, we should eat it. It shouldn't go to waste. We got to save Absolutely. that food for everybody. Yes. yes. Yeah. So you should buy that apple with the with the blemish on it and just cut off the blemish and eat the apple because yes. otherwise <laughs> the apple might go in the landfill. Yeah, it's true. We should just eat it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, ladies, this is the part of the um, show that I like the least. I have to tell you, it's time for us to wrap it up. So, Tracy, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Well, we thank really you so appreciated much for it. Me. I appreciate it. It's nice to see you again. Thank you. You too. I'm going to say hello to Dalton. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> We record Masonian Marshall live every week. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, send us a DM to our Instagram at Masonian Marshall, and we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisher folk, and ranchers by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.